0: and accelerate your success.
1: Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Have you ever felt like an outsider that didn't belong even after you earned a seat at the table? Our guest, Melanie, has faced and successfully overcome this challenge over and over again in her career. She reveals how being an outsider fueled her creativity and helped her tap into the power of community to find breakthrough solutions. She was able to think outside the box because she didn't even know there was a box. Malin is the founder and partner of Operator Collective, a $50 million venture fund that brings together senior operators from diverse backgrounds as limited partners. This is a group critical to a startup success, but largely absent from the historically white male venture industry. Madeline has successfully assembled a close-knit community of 130 incredibly talented operator LPs who have built up the world's most admired companies like Zoom, Stripe, Salesforce, and Slack. And the best part is 90% of the LPs are women and more than 40% of them are people of color. Prior to Operator Collective, Malin was Vice President at Cisco, founding team member at multiple category-creating startups, including RPX, that went from zero to $100 million in IPO in just three years, and Sastr, the world's largest B2B software community. In this episode, Malin discusses why building powerful communities is the key to changing the status quo and what has helped her bring great people together for a common cause she also shares her bold vision of an inclusive world where every dreamer and every doer can go beyond barriers. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Malin. Hi Malin, welcome. It's so great to have you. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. looking forward to it. So let's um, start off with your story. You have uh, such an incredible story and an amazing career journey. So, um, walk us uh, through your journey, the highlights of, and specifically the experiences that shaped your career.
2: It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. So I actually started my career as an intellectual property attorney, and today I'm an investor who has started her own fund. So it's a very unusual journey for sure. Um, So, uh, But I can tell you a little bit about how... The, the pieces all come together. So when I was promoted to head of IP at Cisco, I was one of only six other, um, six women, seven women who had that position mm-hmm. at major, uh, major, cor- major tech corporations. And so as a result of that, um, someone actually wrote a story and it was a front page story in legal press that I had gotten this position because there were so few of us. And so I as a result of that story, I realized like, hey, we actually don't all know each other and there's mm. only seven of us. So we got together and it started to be lunches and then dinners and, and things and ended up becoming a nonprofit that has 5,000 members and 22 chapters around the world Wow! Um, because there were so few of us. So, so you'll see a theme here, which is I'm a builder of communities mm. um, and oftentimes communities that don't exist for the people who are in that community. So in this, it was women in patent law. I mean, talk mm. about niche communities. Yeah. Um, and it's grown It's grown to be broader than that. Now it's women in te- tech law and policy and the intersection there. Um, and then um, while I was there um, at Cisco as the VP of worldwide IP, helped start a company um, from the ground up um, that mm. was a venture backed startup that we took from zero to hundred million in public in three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which, but I was such an outsider to venture because I was. You know a patent attorney in at cisco <laughs> like the furthest thing possible from the startup yep. world and so i did real i didn't realize how unusual it was until i started to spend more time with venture then the third thing i'll circle back to that in a second the third thing i helped um, build up on the side was was uh, an organization called saster which is the world's mm-hmm. largest mm-hmm. community for events and enterprise software and learning um and also investing and so as a result of this, I started to spend um, more and more time with… Um, actually, what happened was is we ended up taking um, the venture back company private again after mm. 10 years from starting it. And, and as a result, I found myself for the first time in my life with a little extra time, um, which is as I trans- transition out of my full-time job, as many of us have had transitions in our in our careers, which is what do I want to be doing? And what I really loved doing was spending time with startups and founders. And mm-hmm. what I found was that a lot of startups and founders um, were seeking me out because it turns out that not that many of them had actually built up revenue from you know the ground up to $300 million, which is where we were when we sold the company again to um, and took it private. And so, and a lot of them had not been in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And the area that I invest in is all B2B and enterprise. And most B2B and enterprise com- um, companies want to eventually sell to enterprise because mm-hmm. that's where you have a lot of the larger contracts and recurring revenue. And so, as I started to meet with them more and more, I realized that, hey, I actually know a lot of things from having done this before that that is that are valuable to, to these founders and also to other other VCs because the VCs would say, hey, can you meet with this company? And I would meet with them and I'd be like, this is great. But I very quickly realized that, that I don't scale, right? You can only mm-hmm. meet with so many companies that you have. You can only advise so many companies. You can only angel invest because a lot of us don't have endless disposable income, right? To be able to, especially who are operators and not former founders, I can only invest in so many companies. But what I realized is there's an opportunity here because um, I love efficiency models and I love leveraging um, um, how do you how do you leverage sort of collective intelligence yeah. um, and create something that's even more powerful than if one person was doing it. So what I thought was, hey, um what I know is that the venture world, because again, I always felt like an outsider. Because even though I was an venture mm-hmm. back startup that was very successful, it was it was in a niche area, and didn't approach it from you know it's not like starting mm-hmm. Twitter, right? Or in the early yeah. days of of Airbnb, um, this was patent risk management and insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incredibly profitable. That's incredibly sexy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's sexy, but but you know, it's not like, hey, you started that patent risk reduction and insurance company, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so, but uh, what I realized was that, as uh, I, like, because I, so I was, uh, it's still an outsider, even though I was had been part of these successful companies. I was like, you know, the venture world revolves around VCs and it revolves around startups mm. and um, and founders in particular. And, and i most identified as an enterprise operator Mm -hmm. and who had built and scaled up companies. And so I thought, Hey, um, they all actually want to know people like me, but they don't know people like me because people like me don't hang out, you know, at the happy hours or the cloud 100 events, because a lot of us are, um, um, and because you also tend to know a lot of people like you, mm-hmm. a lot of the enterprise operators I knew are women and people of color. And a lot of us have kids at home and women are conditioned to be perfect at everything that we do. And so we give 150% to our day job. We give 150% to our family and friends. And, 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 and if there's any time left over, like maybe you try to get a little bit of exercise, but like the last thing you want to do is like go to a five o'clock happy hour, right? <laughs> Even when there were happy hours in the world. <laughs> yeah. And so as a result, because I always look at the the, the cause behind things, mm-hmm. because that's how you how you fundamentally shift things is by looking at the cause mm-hmm. as opposed to dealing with the symptoms. And so when I looked at that, I said, you know what, the VCs and the founders actually want access to people with backgrounds like me, mm-hmm. but they don't know us because our networks don't naturally intersect. And and forcing matching doesn't work, just like forced diversity doesn't work. So I thought, hey, there's a way that we can fundamentally rebuild and create a venture fund from the ground up that brings efficiently those operators into the venture ecosystem in a way that's accessible and efficient for the founders to be able to access, meaning we would invest in them, and then also for the VCs to bring us in to to co-invest. And so that is um that is and we can dig into that in a little bit of a detail in, in in a moment but but that's fundamentally why i ended up taking all those different experiences and say hey why do i you know why do I have a venture fund today I had no burning desire to be a VC i i actually think that building companies is more interesting in terms of mm-hmm. overall structure and and i still today have no desire to run a venture fund that's run like a traditional venture um, the way that we run this venture fund is the way you would run a company, mm. um, which is it's based on teamwork. It's based on collaboration. Your typical venture fund actually, your own partners you're in competition with yes. um, for deals for markups. Um, nothing sounds worse to me. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to start something where I'm going to put myself in that situation because one, I don't think it optimizes for success or performance. And two, like how horrible is that? <laughs> it doesn't sound like any fun at all. Um, and then you'll, uh, and there's some other themes about uh, all my ulterior motives behind behind doing this as well. But that's that's basically the, the story about how an intellectual property attorney Patent attorney who focused on patents ended up starting and raising a venture fund that um, so far, so good, um, um, knock on wood, it's all doing incredibly well. We're very privileged to um, to have hit some really good timing and had some really great supporters from an early stage.
1: That's such a phenomenal story. But what the through line that comes through loud and clear in everything you described was um, you never um, let being an outsider hold you back from you know pursuing a dream or fixing a taking on a big challenge or you know trying to find a really valuable way to solve a problem that was holding other people back and as a builder of communities leveraging the power of community to scale that solution i mean you've done that over and over again but you know i want to go back to um, the idea of being the outsider, being the only perhaps in certain situations, um, what gave you the courage and the confidence to not let that be um, a stumbling block? Because for so many, it becomes an identity and a defining, limiting belief that says, I'm not like the rest. I don't know if I have permission. I don't know if I can do that. And you've broken all of those rules.
2: Um, Let's just say I was a late bloomer because because it took a long time to be comfortable with being an outsider and to realize mm-hmm. that being an outsider is actually um, an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so even from the time, so my parents um, um, are immigrants; they still don't speak much English. Um, they live in an area in, um, in in California where they can they can they don't have to speak much English mm-hmm. actually, and so um, and and always. And so I always felt like an outsider, even from an early stage. Mm-hmm. There, um, there, I, I'm sure you've been an only before. Um, I, I, there were certainly, certainly times um, throughout my, from you know from elementary school where where I was the only one, and you know being called names and things like that. Was you, as you're growing up, it's something that I think that many of us have dealt with, and frankly, mm-hmm. many of us have dealt with things far far worse than I have. And so, so from an early stage, I always wanted to be like assimilated. The only thing I wanted to do was be like everyone else, and. And, so, um, and so, so from the time, let's just start with being, um, when, I was, when, I was, when I took the job as um, the first patent counsel hire at Cisco, like I'm the only one who was hired in that position who didn't have a technical degree. And, mm-hmm. and, and I had known the person who was hiring. And so relationships are important. And people who will say, you don't have the typical background, but I'm gonna hire you anyway because they I think see something in you because there's something that, that's in you and I try to, and I try to do that too um, and because so many people helped me um, by mm-hmm. saying, hey you don't look like anything we've ever <laughs> funded or hired before but we think that you have something So even from that time which was um, I had gotten the offer and and then I even the night before I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like my job is now going to be a hundred percent patents, whereas before it was only part of what I did. I'm like, I don't have a technical degree. I'm going to be just, re- I'm going to be reading patents all day, and I'm going to be doing all this, and and um, and so um, so the the funny story is, is that I had that sort of oh my god moment, and then my boss, who was a white male, um, who's super supportive, who I'd worked with before, actually had a little bit of that moment. He's like, oh my God, I get one hire. And I just hire someone <laughs> who's not technical. What happened was, and this is, I've never actually told the story before, is that his wife was like, he knew, she knew me too. He's like, are you crazy? Like, like trust your gut. Like, and and she's great. And, and it ended up being, being, you know, being awesome. Um, But, 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 but even both of us were like, uh, so you have to have confidence actually on both sides, mm. which is, which is he was the boss, but he had to have the confidence to say, Hey, you don't look like it. anyone yeah. else, but I believe that you have something that is going to make you even more successful. And then me to say like, Oh God, I don't have that background. Like, w- 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 maybe I shouldn't do it to say, you know what, if someone believes in you, you can do it and you can bring things. And then the other thing that same boss would would say to me regularly, um, hey, the reason why you're so good at this is because you think outside the box mm-hmm. and secretly inside, I would say, That's because he doesn't realize that I don't know enough to know what the box is. (laughs) (laughs) Love this because, because, like, I I I didn't know that that was how it was always done, and Mm -hmm. so for years I actually felt like, God, I wish I were had a technical degree. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I, you know, you know, had had been part of a company that that everyone had heard of. I wish I had done this, and then I started to realize somewhere along the way that the reason why I've been so successful. Um, in some of the things that I've done is precisely because I was an outsider and I didn't Mm. know what the confines or the box are. So it allows you to question, like it allows you to think differently than, than what the traditional, someone who has been in that area, the entire, their entire lives. And so it becomes a, a huge benefit and it's incredibly freeing. It just took me a long time to realize that, Hey, that's great. And so I love Hiring people who don't and bringing on people and interacting with people and funding people who, you know, you need to know enough about an industry so that you're not just taking everything from scratch. But it's good to actually not be someone who is so entrenched in, oh, this is the way it's done. So this is how we have to do it. Right. And so it becomes a big benefit. So so um, that's, uh, that is something that took me a long time, though, to be comfortable with because I so wanted to be, like to have the traditional background that everyone else had. Um, and And actually that comes to raising this fund, which is if I – I, when I started to raise this fund, it's a $50 million venture fund, which is very unusual for a first time general partner who mm-hmm. is a sole general partner who has never been a general partner before, who didn't, I, I, I wished I had a lot of things, which is God, as I was putting this together, I was like, Oh, I wish I had a really long track record and I had invested early in, um, in, in, in Stripe and all these other companies, but I hadn't because I was a patent attorney mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an operator in the enterprise who didn't really intersect with a lot of these startups. So I didn't have that. Um, And so, so I I was like, God, it would be easier to raise a fund. But then what that caused me to do was that this fund, I rebuilt it, it's a venture fund and legal structure, but I literally rebuilt it from the ground up to be different. um, Mm -hmm. And to leverage the fact that I don't have this traditional background. And if I actually tried to raise a fund, that was just like every other fund, like, why would anyone fund me? I wouldn't Mm -hmm. fund me because why would I be better at this than you know
1: your typical? Because then the comparison is about you know what the norm is and how exactly norms And if I
2: tried to do it the way that the norm was, I don't have the the background that you typically need to make the normal model succeed. Uh, Beyond the fact that, like I said earlier, like I didn't even like the normal model; it just Mm -hmm. just, didn't sound like very much fun. And so it's like okay, let me rebuild this in a way that takes all of that I know and all my experiences and. And let's rebuild it that way. And. Um and it'll be a whole lot more fun because mm-hmm. this is how I like to function. This is how I like to work. This is how women like to work with each other, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, so, so I want to dig into that uh, a little bit more because for our listeners that may not know what a typical fund is and and what makes yours different, can you illustrate with some specific things that show what the norm looks like and, and what's different and why that's valuable? Why you know the way you're doing it is so important and so needed?
2: Um, Yeah, great. So your typical venture fund is your very traditional venture fund is um, there's a general partner who is the one who raises the fund, who's the one who makes the decisions on what to invest in. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a I mean, people give you millions of dollars. It's 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 a big deal, and you go through a lot of diligence. And so you then you have investors in the fund that mm-hmm. are called limited partners, mm-hmm. um, and people call those LPs. So mm-hmm. the general partners people call GP, and mm-hmm. then the limited partners who are the investors are called LPs. Your typical LPs for some of these more traditional venture funds um, will be financial investors like fund to funds, they might be universities, they might be endowments, they might be pension mm-hmm. funds. And then oftentimes, but there's a handful of them and people are very secret about it. Typically they don't talk about who their investors, who their LPs are, because, um, because, uh, Actually, I don't know. Like protecting
1: that. the source of money. It's sort of protecting
2: the source of money and those relationships are key to being able to raise a fund. Mm-hmm. So lots of times even within a in, in a in a in an existing fund, those aren't even known to the other partners who didn't mm-hmm. maybe weren't part of raising the fund. Okay, so there's there's this. And then and then those traditional funds typically will have a handful of individuals. And those handful of individuals tend to be high net worth who were insiders because maybe it was a portfolio company, a company that you had invested in that had gone public. And now that CEO has has some liquidity and then you want, and then they will give them the opportunity to invest in the fund as well. But it's a very select small group of insiders. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that
1: um, I want to- Clearly something that doesn't have a lot of diversity though. Oh,
2: I mean, especially in the area that I'm- Um, investing in, which is enterprise technology. And so, um, you know, 90%, um, I think it's gotten a little bit better, but 85, 90% of VC check writers, people have the ability to write checks are, you know, male, and the majority Mm -hmm. of those are white males. And a large majority of those went to Harvard or Stanford. There's Mm -hmm. actually a study that went out um, um, on that. And so it tends to be this dominant homogenous group that is raising the money and then deciding what companies to invest in and hence Mm. what companies are going to be successful or have the potential to be successful and then when those companies are the wealth recycles amongst the same group again and again and again Mm. and so what i wanted to do as a result of this was hey there's a lot of really highly talented women and people of color who aren't part of this dominant homogenous group if we could find a way to bring that natural network because they have the skill sets and the backgrounds that I know these VCs and founders want to be able to expand wealth creation. This is not about creating a separate ecosystem just for women and people of color. This is about combining these ecosystems and these networks that don't typically intersect, be able to intersect. So let me back up again for a second, which is back to your question. So your typical VC fund has um, a general partner or, or multiple general partners that raise the money that decide um, what companies to invest in. And so the LPs invest in that. The LPs typically consist of, you know, the big institutional investors, high net worth individuals, family offices, and maybe a handful of startup founders who had some successful exits. So what does that leave behind? Everyone else who doesn't have that high net worth and is in that little dominant homogenous group. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do was, it's incredibly powerful to have people invest in something as opposed to just for instance like getting advisory shares or just Mm. volunteering or just being part of some community group which is all great but but i was determined to find a way to harness all this incredible experience and talent of these mostly women and people of color and bring it together so we could work on something that would um, shift the power dynamic and the way we're going to shift the power dynamic is by making money Um, Mm. but harnessing the collective intelligence of this group and so what we did with this fund um is Um, And, uh, and was that we, I knew I wanted to bring in operators who had backgrounds like mine, or even better than mine, who had built and scaled up these companies, and um, um, bring them together and make it accessible. Mm -hmm. And so so I um, went to the people that you know, so I know a lot of operators who had built up revenue, who happened to be women or people of color. And so I said, hey, I'm thinking about putting together this fund, what do you think? Um, but I need to make it accessible. It couldn't be that, hey, you have to put in a million dollars. Most of us mm-hmm. don't have a million dollars to put in. And even for a lot of people, it's, you know, for a lot of these funds, it's $250,000. That's a lot of money. Um, yeah. That's a lot of money. Throw the gender pay equity gap in there. <laughs> yeah, we certainly don't and have. And to money some degree,
1: you know, even risk aversion, perhaps, right? Of uh, oh yeah. willingness to write a big check, even if you had the disposable income and the ability to invest. You know, taking on that risk, gender, I'm sure, plays a role in that as well. So, how did you solve, solve that?
2: Yeah. So um, so so that's a good point, by the way, on that point, uh, which is so Sally Krawcheck, who is a founder of Ellevest and was one of the few women CEOs in um, in the financial services, says that people think that women are risk averse and and women are risk averse when they don't have access to the information. Mm. And because we're not I mean, I say it's because we're not stupid. Um, and I've put immigrants and others in that category too. And the other thing is, is we don't have the disposable income to just throw it away to be mm-hmm. like, I don't know, but you know what? You seem like a cool guy. So I'm going to put money in. I mm-hmm. mean, you might do that to a good friend that you know, but, but we really don't have the money to be like, Oh, no. you know, but I don't never, never see it. And, and a lot of the guys that I knew who do have that, they're like, I view angel investing as a community service. Mm-hmm. I expect never to see it again. Yeah. Most of us don't have the luxury to do that. So anyway, that's just a side note, um, which is, um, And so what I want to do is make it accessible, which is I wanted more women to be investing. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't want women who have busy day jobs and are juggling a family to just invest the way that some of these guys who have a larger pocketbook than we do to Mm -hmm. invest because losing money. Um, which is angel investing is the riskiest kind of investing is um, it, losing money was not going to help the power dynamic because we're really not going to help the power dynamic until we make money. The best way of investing is actually diversifying your portfolio. Mm. We, we all know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, but it's un reasonable for someone, because I've been a busy operator with a full-time job and kids, to say, okay, I'm going to invest in 20 companies this year. How could you possibly do the diligence? How could you possibly have the money to, to invest in 20 companies? But, but that's what you need to do to have, because maybe one of those is going to hit big. -hmm. Um, We think more of ours will hit big, but you know, um, and so, and so, so one is I wanted women to be investing more. I wanted to give them a vehicle to make it easy for them to do so and to be able to diversify their risk. And then third, because we're all busy operators, it's like, you know what? There's not just one COO or one CRO who has the background. We have 18 of them so that if you get busy, you don't need to engage or. Someone in our portfolio or someone in our LP base is going to have that background that you that we need to properly diligence this company or help this company. And so, so that's what we did, which is first of all, from a from a that's that's non-traditional, is our LP base is 136 operator LPs, which are people like me or previously like me, which are active operators in the enterprise now people who are building and scaling up these businesses, they include people like that have built and scaled up um, Salesforce and Google and and LinkedIn and and Stripe and Gusto and and Intercom and other companies like that. And so, and instead of saying, you have to put in $250,000 or um, a million dollars, we created the sliding scale, depending on how maybe underrepresented and how underpaid you might've been in the past. Mm -hmm. And so at the bottom end, um, it's $10,000. Um, And it scales all the way up to if you're part of the dominant homogenous group, you're in the million plus number. Mm -hmm. And so it's not strictly done by gender or ethnicity. It's done based on what's the background um, Mm -hmm. that you have. It does tend to be that the people at the higher end are you know part of the dominant homogenous group but the ones who have had less opportunities or less access you know tend to be at the lower end um, and so and so that's one thing that we did which is we made this accessible um mm. and we also made it easy for them to participate because the other thing is is that women and i'm generalizing here i totally get it we don't like to sign up for things if we don't think we can carry through with them
0: mm, yeah.
2: we, because we don't like to disappoint people and i actually think that's a positive trait Mm -hmm. very positive trait um as as opposed to oh just put my name on something um which also has its benefit by the way but this is something where i actually wanted to people Mm -hmm. to participate but because we don't want to disappoint people i knew if i built this to say nikki you have to spend five hours a month mentoring or doing diligence for us um you might be like, oh my God, I can't do that. Because like, I don't have like, you know, I'm juggling everything. Schedules, I can't commit now. (laughs) I can't commit. And so I can't do it. And I don't want to let you down because we're friends, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, Nikki, there's actually no minimum time commitment. Like you can spend as much time as you want or as little time as you want, depending on what you have going on in your personal and professional life. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know that you know, things get busy. And I know that you want to, right. But 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 there's no pressure to do so. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, people spend more time Mm-hmm. Because they know that hey, if I need to pull back because one of our one of our LPs is uh, Michelle Zatlin, who's the
1: mm-hmm. I know
2: COO and um, oh, yeah. um, co-founder of Cloudflare, um, she's incredibly active. And then when she was taking her company public, you know, we left her alone, and she didn't need to be active, right for for whatever time period. Because fundamentally, what I also want for Michelle, and she's doing great, she doesn't really need my help on this. Which is, I want her to make her company and her own career as successful as possible that's one number one number two is hey look on the side we can be doing this and building this because um it doesn't have to be all or nothing because I think that's the other thought thing that I saw and I certainly was guilty of this too which is I would only focus on one thing Hmm. whereas and again I'm generalizing the guys I'll figure out how to do all these side gigs (laughs) at the same time and so I'm like it's it's enough where like we're only focusing on this because we feel like we have to be perfect on it and then when we're done, we'll figure out what we want to do, which is kind of what I, what I did. I'm like, you know, I don't want everyone to have to go through, you know, that process. Let's make it more efficient. Um, let's bring more women, let's bring more people of color in. let's make it more accessible because a lot of it is, is just, it's it's just so foreign and you don't know Mm -hmm. how to start. And so that's, um, that's also what we did, which was, we made it more accessible Mm -hmm. by dollars, but also in fundamental structure. And then third, which is what you do, actually, Nikki, with your cohorts of of, of um, coaching. Which is women like to like community, mm-hmm. right? We like to be able to combine things when when we can, um, because we get a lot of energy. Out of connecting with other people and other women in particular, but um, it also
1: changes how we learn because the social work yes. has deeper transformation and much more lasting impact.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Absolutely, and and everyone because we have people from all these different backgrounds, from from product to engineering to to CFOs to COOs to sales and marketing. Um, when you bring that together, it it creates a more powerful end result, mm-hmm. and also because. It's, it's enjoyable because a lot of women um, don't have this extra time to spend with each other, and we get to do this, but at the same time, we're learning from each other, and we also spend a fair amount of time also educating just with programming and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So, so, so that's, those are sort of two fundamental ways that, that we've shifted this, which has made it accessible on multiple levels, both in terms of time and in terms of dollars and um, and built a lot of community around it. Do
0: you wanna grow your impact as a change agent who ignites transformation in others, but you don't have a proven step-by-step method? Do you wanna grow your visibility and influence as a thought leader to inspire others, but you don't know where to begin? The Beyond Barriers High Performance Executive Coach Certification is designed for experienced leaders who want to grow their impact and influence. Join this exclusive community of high achievers, advance your career as a leader, and experience the joy of helping others grow. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com and register for the webinar to learn more.
1: Well, what's what's so powerful in uh, the model you're describing is that you're really addressing multiple macro issues and with one seamless, cohesive solution. So one issue is how do women gain more power, wealth, and influence? Right. The advancement to okay. have that without it doesn't matter how great your expertise or experience is, if you lack power, wealth, and influence, your ability to create impact is fundamentally limited. And you can compete in a world that's dominated by that. So you're facilitating that.
2: No, thank you. There's so many ulterior motives I have on this. When people say, How long have you been working on this fund? I say like 20 years, yeah. all my life. <laughs> but but the point that's another, but that's a great point that you raise because the other thing that I observed is that it's very hard for women to toot their own horn, mm-hmm. you get viewed as like, oh, she's just self-serving. Whereas some members of the dominant homogenous group do it all the time. And it's accepted of like just normal. But when we do it, it's very hard to be like, look at me, look how awesome I just did yeah. this. I'm going to tweet about how great it, I it doesn't go over well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, what we're going to do is I knew of all these biases that there are in the world. I'm like, you know what? So we're going to celebrate these women. So if you look at our website and our social media, it's like, we're saying like, look at Nikki, look at this amazing thing that she did, because it is very hard to do that on your own. But as you said, our ability to have power and influence and to get to the next, um, you know, rung on the ladder is limited when, when no one knows what we've done. Because a lot of times, and I've been guilty of this, I did this for much of my career, which is it's like you're the quiet one in the background, building yeah. and building, fixing everything, taking on the extra work, and and and
1: no one knows what you've done. Right. I mean, it's one of the biggest things that holds careers back is that we get uh, stuck in these support. Uh, roles that are important jobs to do, but they're not the most glamorous, not the most visible that have the fast track to more powerful positions. And so you're being a good soldier, you're doing everything, but you're not helping drive your own career forward. So a big part of what your platform provides is that fast track to not only power and influence and powerful networks but also wealth creation which also is you know in many ways limited the distribution of getting access to opportunities for wealth creation is not easily accessible so by making that accessible you're changing the dynamic there but what's also interesting to me um as uh, as an entrepreneur myself, like um, what you're describing, completely resonates with me because I'm the typical visionary founder, but I'm keenly aware that my success depends on a great operator, mm-hmm. and yet my circles don't intersect with many operators. And you know, you pointed out something that frankly makes or breaks companies. Any yeah. founder who has been through the journey knows that ultimately, if you can't solve for that, you have no real future. It doesn't matter if you have a great product, you need great operators and founders to come together. And bringing that collective together is also incredibly powerful. And the third piece is just the diversity equation that you're solving for in investing in diverse um, founders, but also bringing diversity of investors. Uh, my gosh, that's a big master plan. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no. Uh, you, you, you have, um, you have recognized all the when I mentioned earlier all the ulterior motives I have for this fund because I have tried to solve this problem in multiple ways, including mm-hmm. my first um, company, which was a nonprofit called Chips. I, um, which was you know, the women in patent law, I thought that because women in patent law, there were very few women who were at the top, you know, mm-hmm. who were running patent organizations, but we actually all c- controlled a lot of spend, corporate spend. Um, one of my co-founders was the head of patents um, and is, is still the chief litigation officer at Apple. I mean, they have a huge budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were tired of getting pitched by the same Groups of homogenous teams again and again. And so, what we actually thought when we started it was that, hey, it's that we just don't know each other. Mm-hmm. If we could get to know each other, then business is going to happen and it'll go from there. And, but, but what happened was, is we threw these events and, mm-hmm. and learned a lot from them. But and everyone loved these events. They were so, I mean, people were in tears, right? I mean, you've been, I'm sure you've been to events where it's like, okay, I've never been in a room with all these people like me before. And it's incredibly emotional and it's great. And people kept in touch. People would go on vacation together. People would trade maternity clothes, et cetera. Mm. And, then, and then, but there was something that was bothering me about it, which mm. is business wasn't happening. Mm. and And it was so annoying to me because I'm like, Great, it's fine. I made all these friends and I love these friends of mine, but the guys all figure out how to do deals with their buddies. It's like second nature. They and I'm totally generalizing, I get this, but um, which is it's almost second nature. It's like if you're if your buddies with someone, you're probably gonna do business with them if there's some way to our sex, And it wasn't second nature. So I actually wrote this piece that that started a lot of the concrete parts of actually this fund coming together and my determination is like I'm gonna do something because we're trying to make the way that women like to intersect and act fit into the rigid corporate structure. Mm. Right into the rigid venture world, but it's not natural for us. It's not how we like to intersect, interact. It's not natural for us. It's not accessible to us. So that's why I fundamentally rebuild this to make it easy to take advantage of all that's wonderful about female friendships mm-hmm. and community. And saying we're going to turn that into a benefit, and so it's going to it's and then we're going to harness that. And the the stronger our community is, the better investors we're going to be.
1: And right. so. So that, that, that's what I did. In fact, so, so there's this. How do you get past that common um, objection or concern that, well, I'm, you know, I I love my female friends, but I don't want to ask them for help and make them feel like I'm using them. Or, you know, I I don't want to bring transaction into a friendship. Men do it all the time. How do you Uh help them get past that? So
2: there's this piece that I wrote in Fortune that um, was published in August 2018, and it's called uh, Women's Friendships. Um, actually, it's called, um, they actually put I didn't quite know what the title they were putting on. They put it on how friendship holds women back in their careers and what they can do about it. So um, so when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm trashing women's friendships. Um, and I was actually a little bit hesitant because I actually wrote this piece for like a year and sat on it because wow. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to say this because, um, but I actually heard almost no negative Mm -hmm. comment, which is like, this is the elephant in the room. Thank you for talking about this. So, so on, on, on two ends, which is, um, I was trying to figure out why, despite like all this power with like female empowerment and friendships and stuff, why, um, you know, why there was this thing that was holding women back from turning that into business. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, so I interviewed a lot of people and what women were telling me was when they asked for a friend for business, just like you just said, they feared it would damage their personal relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when they did ask and got, a no, and, and sometimes it was a yes, but oftentimes it was a no. They took it personally too. It's like, oh my god, I knew I shouldn't have asked, right? It's like, like now I've like ruined our relationship yeah. and our friendship. Yeah, they're always um, going to think badly about me yeah. for
1: the rest of our lives. Yes,
2: <laughs> it's like they're always going to, and and then and then you become gun shy about asking again because mm-hmm. you're like, oh my god, I I, I finally worked up the, the 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 courage to do it, and they said no, and now they're going to hate me, or they're, they're going to think that this is all I wanted, and so um and and even and and sometimes people would ask. And they'd actually get no response,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? And so it, it's actually, um, they weren't wrong. The women who said like, hey, I've damaged my relationship or whatever, because, because on the other side, women who received and asked for a friend, because I also asked them like, have people been pitching you? What is your response? Is it was too unexpected. Like the women didn't expect that the friends to hit them up for business because it's not second nature the way it is with men. And then when it when they did have to say no, it 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 did, did create this tension, and so and some of them actually even did start doubting like, well, did you were we friends? like did you do this because you wanted my business, or did you want to be friends with me truly and so um so the baggage is actually real on both sides and so and so I looked at well what are the reasons behind this and and talked to men and when one example um they gave me was, well, what I found was that. Women's French. when you get to know women mm-hmm. and you meet someone at a conference or otherwise, you tend to go very personal very quickly. Yes. Um, which, is, um, which is like, you know, we had a chance to talk a little bit this morning. It's like, we know about your marriage. We know about how you met, right? <laughs> we know about kids. We know about the dogs. We know about, you know, a sick family member, all in five minutes. Yeah. So when I talked to the men, and, and we know this, but I actually went through an interview and he's like, well... The conversation I have with a guy the first time I meet him is pretty much the same conversation I have 25 years later. So when you're trying to bridge between intensely personal To business, you can't make Mm -hmm. that jump abruptly. You have to bridge. And so I talked a little bit about this in the, in the, in the op-ed that I wrote, and I won't go into all of it now. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the men are close to being a transactional relationship in the first place. And so that's why when I started operator collective, I'm like, I'm going to take the fact that I'm not going to tell women to be more transactional. What I'm going to do is meet somewhere in the middle, which is what's so wonderful about knowing all those personal things and celebrating people's personal successes and knowing about their kids. Um, is is to say that's going to be part of what makes us successful, mm. um, and so so that's that's that is that article led me to say okay, I'm going to create something that is going to fi- that we're going to I'm going to find a way to harness all of that incredible talent, mm-hmm. but make it easy and comfortable for women, mostly women, to come together, and then that's going to be a benefit because when we do because i've always thought you may have thought this too which is like god i have so many amazing badass friends if we all just started a company together like like, it's like designing a dream team thing. and saying yeah. who
1: would i go you know yeah. on this big mission with and if but- i could bring them together
2: yeah. And then also because I've started a number of companies, I knew that not everyone could quit their job, <laughs> right? <laughs> and do this together. I'm like, so we're going to, so I'm going to put together this fund. This is what's going to look like. This is what I think. And then I talked to a lot of these women. I'm like, why aren't you investing? Why aren't you doing this, etc. And so I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm also built a lot of companies and businesses and products at this point. So I'm very meticulous and mm. maniacal about like, what's the gap in the market? What's the product market fit? So I built this the way you would build any product or new business, mm. which was literally like, okay, where's the gap? What's this? How do you create this? Because at the end of the day too it's not about just bringing women and people of color together to do something that's fun and whatever we have to make money yes like this fund number 1 is that we need to generate phenomenal returns so that we can shift the power dynamic in this world and so these women and people of color and others who don't have a lot of maybe disposable income can continue to invest can 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 leave their companies and go start new companies mm-hmm. and so I knew I needed to build a business model that, on its own, was just sound, but it was going to be made stronger by the fact that we had all these people from diverse backgrounds who typically don't have the ability to participate in the venture world.
1: I think the other advantage, uh, I'm sure, for the companies that you invest in is that they're getting so much more than just capital. I mean, the uh, just the sheer intellectual power of this collective in terms of, advising and and the growth of those companies alone has got to be tremendously valuable.
2: Yeah. No. And that's what I also wanted because, um, so what I, what I wanted was because we love doing that, right? (laughs) We love, we love, um, I mean, how many free coffees do you give I mean, maybe not as much anymore because yeah. we're in a pandemic.
1: Yeah. But, 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 but how many like free coffees do you give? Oh, so much in terms of just mentoring and guiding. Anyone with experience just gets tapped into for that.
2: Yeah. And especially being a woman of color, yes. right? There are so only so many of, yeah. you know, out, out there. And so, and you always want to say yes, right? Yes. Because, because I'm sure a lot of people did that for you. And I've so, heard the
1: term minority tax, um, you know, that uh, we have to pay because you're the only and it's hard to say no. So you are carrying the burden of contribution in addition to also excelling in what you do because you're paving the way forward.
2: Yeah. And it's hard to say no, because you want to. And so but what I'm saying, I'm not saying that um, you should not give any more free coffees out. But what we're going to do is turn those free coffees into making the people in this community more successful, Mm. which is because the more that the women who are investors in this fund are successful, the more successful this community in this fund is. Mm. so there's no competition. it is about celebrating and helping make everyone else successful and um and then also a lot of those coffees will channel into the companies we've invested in mm. and so it's not just um it's not just another free coffee that somehow the guys figure out a way to turn into some yeah. deal. Or another um, social chat. Another, yeah, another social chat. It's actually, we're doing something. And actually, that I, I find that actually that forms stronger personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's a difference when you start a relationship as purely personal and then try to turn it into business. Um, but when you start it with personal and business together, it actually is much more natural to sit, to continue to have the business part of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the women and, and men, actually, in the fund... Some of them, a lot of them I didn't know before. And so, but I know both professionally what they're doing and you know, ask them for intros for our portfolio companies or help with this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I know about their kids and their families and their vacations and what their career aspirations are. And are they looking for a board seat? And so again, I was wanted to shift the playing field so it wasn't us trying to fit into that rigid construct, but to say we're gonna make it more natural because I know this is how women Um, and others naturally like to intersect, but let's do this in a way so that business doesn't feel jarring. That when I ask you for something, um, Mm -hmm. it's not like, I thought I was in this because we were friends. It's like, of course, because you know what, we're going to do this and we're going to make money together.
1: Yeah. I love that. I I love the apps, but I, I think the core part of what you're facilitating is the bridge, You know, the personal to the transactional, I think, you know, that's really encapsulates the challenge that most women face is they don't know how to bridge and the leap feels too harsh and too abrupt. Exactly. um, uh, To the relationship. Um, You know, I want to get into a little bit about building powerful communities. You have done that extraordinarily well. You're truly a builder of communities. I've been fortunate to be part of some of those communities. I've seen the magic (laughs) that you created. A lot of women struggle with approaching someone that they don't know, right? So, your inner circle, perhaps your immediate community, you might know. But expanding beyond that, getting proximity to more powerful relationships, there's a fear and hesitation of again, rejection or dismissal, what advice would you give for someone who knows that they need to expand and build their communities? And it's not just to, it's more importantly to give and learn. How does someone do that?
2: So, um, the, so there's building communities and there's, all, there's also building your own personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's one you want me to uh, uh, more focus on.
1: Let, let's talk about um, just expanding your own personal networks. You know, okay. for the sake of advancement.
2: Yeah. So, so when I was at Cisco, um, Cisco was great. By the way, working for big companies is is I think. A, a huge benefit—you get so much training, and um, that you just don't get in a startup. Which is, um, and and startups are wonderful too. I love startups. But if you are in a big company or you're thinking about going to a big company, I actually think that it's a great thing to do as part of your career because you will get more training and more guidance and and um, more structure. That will that will. So I got a lot of training um, when I was going through it. I'm like, oh my god, I can't ever get my work done, right? I can. with well, this management training and this training and this speaking training and things like that. And so. So one of, and, and and Cisco was very much a feedback culture. So I'd get a lot of feedback, like good and bad. Um, but now I embrace it all, even though sometimes I wanted to hide from the feedback. And so one of the pieces of feedback I got was, um, which, so, so this also goes back to, you get a lot of advice where you might initially say, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense, or you dismiss it. So one piece of advice I got from someone was, you should be more political. And I was like, ew, like, who wants to be political? Like, I don't want to be political. Like, that's not genuine. But, but when someone says something, maybe they don't say it in a way that, that there's always a deeper meaning behind it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I thought about it for a long time. And it took me a while to realize what he meant. And what I should have actually done earlier was that you should be more deliberate about relationship building. Because what happened is, again, like a lot of women and maybe people of color and immigrants and others, I was so heads down doing my work all the time and just like trying to crank and do a good job. And so the people that I happened to work with like knew me and I was well regarded, but I never deliberately tried to like continue our relationship with them or be like, oh gosh, it'd be great to work on a project with that person because it was just literally whatever came my way, I would crank through. And if you happen to know me, then you happen to know me, but I wasn't deliberate about like, Hey, I would love to work with Jay Shree more and let's look for a way. But, but, but then there's a balance too, because it's not just like, Hey, can you have a coffee? Because I've had people who've said, Hey, can you have a a coffee? And and those sometimes get painful when there's actually not a purpose (laughs) <laughs> and coffee, and so tie it to something that is meaningful and helpful to that very very busy person that you're asking mm-hmm. for a coffee from, or whatever. Or look for a way to um, to work on a project together. So I think that helps. So so that's that's one piece, which was um, be more deliberate about relationship building and solidify and keep in touch with those people, um, but don't do it in a way that just is is wasting time either, mm-hmm. because there are certain. Um, you know, if you're an Asian woman who was rising up the ranks, a lot of times I would get, they would get put with me, right? Just, just you know, I mean, they just would. And and I was happy to meet with them. And and after the first coffee, sometimes I got to admit, they were a little bit painful because if there was nothing that we were working on, we kind of ran out of things to talk about. Yeah, And I can't help because I can't then say, hey, I'm going to recommend you for this board position or this advisory position or this, because I've actually never worked with you on anything. Like, yeah, she's pleasant to have coffee with. And so look for ways of working on committees. Is it a nonprofit? Is it organizing a conference? Is it, you know, hosting podcasts? Right. Is it, is it, hey, I'm thinking about doing this or can I help you with X? And a lot of times it is stuff outside of your normal job. But I think, um, I think sometimes we focus too much on being perfect at just our normal you know, job, because we're trying to be perfect Mm -hmm. at it, is to look for opportunities to do that to build relationships. So um, I wish I had done that earlier. I do know a lot of people, but I probably would know twice as many people that I had strong relationships with had I actually been deliberate as opposed to just keeping my head down.
1: Yeah, it's almost, uh, you know, realizing that you have two jobs, the job you're doing and, and building a career at the same time, which requires building alliances and getting mentors and sponsors and advocates for you.
2: Yeah. And then the other thing is, is I always thought that networking was a bad word. Um, mm. And in fact, just hated the word and didn't like even using it because I also found thought it was like, I don't know, like, schmoozy, <laughs> right. Um, and so I still don't really like the word I, I use relationship building, but I'm not against um, against the word anymore. But, but, but that, but, but, I but when you look at it is there's something to learn and there's something that you can contribute to everyone that you're interacting with. Mm -hmm. So it's not just networking or Mm -hmm. just uh, like meeting people or whatever. It's, it's actually, there's give and take. So very junior people who are earlier in their career, who meet with me, who have something to offer. I I learn just as much from them. And those are the people that I end up building relationships with, or, Hey, I've got this project. Do you want to do it? Because also out of sight, out of mind, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're busy. So I would say that, um, um, just also when you're doing that, it's not just networking for the sake of networking. Is you're learning something, um, and there may be something that you can mutually contribute to each other, and that's valuable on both sides.
1: Absolutely, and and, and that's what builds for more lasting relationships as well. Well, Melanie, you have uh, shared so much wisdom and um, such a powerful, um, you know, experience with so many people to learn from. Um, when you look forward. Into the future, you are such a visionary on a mission to build a better world. What's your biggest dream looking forward? What's your biggest hope?
2: so i I hope that um, I hope that the world becomes such that, and I mentioned this before that to be successful, you don't want have to shift into the traditional construct of what the the corporate world is, but that the world can be a little kinder and gentler, and show that you can, you can treat people well. You can you can put culture first. You can um, build relationships and still build ultra successful companies. So we're fortunate that one of the LPs in our fund um, is the founder and CEO of Zoom, which, um, and also the CFO, who happens to be a woman, and the CMO, who happens to be a woman, and also the first investor in Zoom are all part of the fund. And so that's what we look at, which is, which is, can you treat people well? Can you do the right thing and still build an ultra successful company? I mean, Eric and Zoom, what they did when the pandemic first hit is they just said, you know, I don't care we're going to give it all away to, um, to, to schools for free right now, because everyone's just trying to figure it out. And so, and they treat people well, they treat people with respect. Um, and he's always trying to do the right thing. And so that's what we're trying to do, which is we're trying to shift, fundamentally shift the tech industry from the ground up by not waiting until they're a thousand person company or a 5,000 person company, or even a 200 person company, but to say, We're going to fund those founders who are humble, lifelong learners, who believe that culture diversity and Mm -hmm. operational excellence are a key part of building truly great companies. So founders from all backgrounds. And then as we invest in these companies, we bring our natural networks as they need to make hires Mm -hmm. because we tend to know people, you tend to know people like you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and slowly what we're going to do is from the ground up, build these companies that are stronger, because of the fact that you're not hiring just the same people and then as that generates more wealth for the investors for the people in the companies that that becomes a new norm as opposed to
1: what sometimes happens today that that clarity that you have you know it's it's uh so visual and visceral when you describe it, like, you know, you know, what it needs to look like and how to get there. Um, It's truly inspiring. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. And I'm sure everyone, you know, watching or listening to this episode is going to be rooting for that vision to come to life, uh, because we need change agents and change makers, and you are definitely one of them. So thanks for being on the show. It's been an absolute delight having you. Thank
2: you so much for having me. You're incredible. Um, And you're, you're an inspiration to so many of us. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all resources for each show, including the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.